Okay, we are uh, we're still in Ephesians, and uh, we've made it to Ephesians one eighteen, and uh, we're going to be dealing today with this verse here. You can you can flip there if you want. It has to do with the hope of his calling and uh, and his inheritance in the saints. Uh, go ahead and go ahead and flip there. If you remember last time I spoke a couple weeks ago, uh, I spoke about the absolute necessity. Uh, well, I spoke about the first part of this prayer, where Paul says, you know, that he prays that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of God. And uh, and 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 we spoke about the absolute necessity of the spirit of wisdom and revelation working in us to bring us to the true knowledge of Christ. And if you missed last time, you might want to grab it uh, uh, in, in the bookstore if you want to. It's, it's there. And so is Julie's uh, sermon from last week, which was fantastic. But uh, basically what we mentioned last time was that it's impossible, it is impossible for the will of Christ to be done without the mind of Christ working in the body of Christ. And that only happens through the Spirit of God living in us and revealing in us and forming in us His very life in our soul. That's the true knowledge of God. We, we, we mentioned that. We talked about how the true knowledge of God isn't your true knowledge about God, but it's actually... It's a participation in His life that actually works in you. It is His knowledge, it's His heart, it's His reality coming to be the reality that works in your soul. And, and if you were to ask me, and honestly, if you were to ask me what I believe to be the most central, vital issue in the body of Christ having to do with spiritual growth, having to do with, with living into our purpose, Having to do with fulfilling the will of God, it would unquestionably be. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to stop and think for one second. It would unquestionably be the necessity of Christ being revealed in you by the Spirit as your very life. Or you could say it a different way. You could say the necessity of the truth as it is in Christ becoming the truth as it is in your soul. Everything of 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 of. Uh, Christ's life, everything of maturity, increase, everything of uh, expression of Him, manifestation of Him, His work, His ministry, everything hinges right there. And that's, that's kind of what we spoke on last time we, we, in, in kind of a summary version. Uh, and, that's, and that's why Paul prays the way he does. That's why Paul picks up this prayer starting... Off saying, God, here's how I pray. I pray that you would give to this people who are already in you, in whom your spirit already dwells. I pray that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of God. And then he goes on from there. And, uh, and that's where we're going to focus our attention today in verse 18. He goes on and says this, The eyes of your understanding, or your translation might say, The eyes of your heart being enlightened. And that's to contrast with the eyes of the, you know, the natural body. 
the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. Here's two more things that God is hoping that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will make real in our soul. Two more things here. The first is, what is the hope of His calling? The second is, what, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And I, I want to spend most of our time this morning on the hope of His calling. Uh, before, before I do anything else, though, I just want to mention that, that the, uh, the Greek word that's translated into English as our word hope is a, is a really lousy trans, translation. Uh, any, any literal uh, translation that I know of translates it expectation. Expectation. It's much... You know, hope in, in uh, Americanese, uh, in English, I guess, but uh, maybe it didn't used to, but now it, 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 uh, it means kind of wish. You know, something you'd like to see happen. I hope the calves don't get swept <laughs> in, in the finals. Uh, but uh, that is not the that is not the Greek word there. Hope it's the Greek word expectation, and every scholar agrees with this. I've never seen a dissenter. It's not a desire or a wish or, or a hope. It is the confident expectation of what we know is certain to come to pass. And, uh, and so it's like, you know, I've heard it said, you know, once you're, you're pregnant, no one says, I'm hoping for a baby. You say, I'm expecting a baby. It's too late for the hope. That's, that's what happens before you're pregnant. Now, you know, barring some you know, tragedy or something. Now it's just a matter of expectation. So what we're dealing with here is the expectation of God's calling. The, expects, the expectation. And, and the reason that, that, that it can be an expectation is because it is based on, founded on a finished work. It's not something He might do. It's something He has done which He expects to bear fruit in you. So, we'll start by looking at that, the, the expectation of His calling, the hope of His calling, and then we'll get a little bit into His inheritance in the saints. You're going to find this word calling used by the apostles various times in the New Testament. I, I, I want to uh, try to explain what I've, uh, a little bit of what I've seen about this, this word calling and what is our calling. What is His calling on you? I want to talk about that. Uh, what it is, what it's not. First of all, I'd like to just read a few other verses uh, where, this, uh, where this word is used. Uh, Romans 8.28 All things work together for good to those who, are, who love God, who are called according to His purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that verse called into the fellowship of His Son. 1 Corinthians uh, 1.26 For you see your calling, brethren. Not many of you are wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen, and that word called there actually is added there at the end of 26. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chose the weak things to shame the mighty. I'm kind of paraphrasing here the base things, uh, the things that that are despised. 
And he goes on to describe this calling. Verse 30, But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, Let him who glories glory in the Lord. Ephesians 4.4 There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One expectation of your calling. Uh, Philippians 3.14 I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful and He also will do it. I'm not trying to just bore you with these scriptures. I'm going to make a point here uh, in, in just a minute. I just want to read a few. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 To which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, these are all describing and defining the calling. The calling of God. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you might proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. One more, 1 Peter 5.10 But may the God of all grace who called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So from God's point of view, what is the calling on your life? I believe personally that there is an incredible amount of misunderstanding surrounding the concept of your calling. I've heard it my whole life. I've read it in books. I've been preached uh, I've preached it myself. I've been I've heard it been preached to me. Uh, and the reason that I quoted all of those above verses was simply to show you that in none of not a single one of them are are you finding God's calling on your life having anything to do with what he wants you to do. On the contrary, God's calling on your life has to do with realizing and walking in the fullness of what He has already done. In other words, your calling isn't about accomplishing things, but rather growing up in the thing that He has already accomplished. And I know that runs totally sideways to to so much of what we have heard or read or or, or heard. And that's why I'm I'm trying to focus in on it. Every one of these verses deals with the calling of God. And in each one, it has to do with what He has done, what we must therefore realize, and then the result of that working in and through us. God's calling in each of these verses has nothing to do with tasks or objectives that God is calling you to carry out or, or achieve. But each one of these verses deals with the reality of what He has achieved now working in you. He's calling you to know by faith and manifest through inward transformation the reality of what He has done. Can you see the difference there? It's because you, quote, have been called into the fellowship of His Son... It's because He, quote, has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's because He, quote, has called us into His eternal glory in Christ Jesus that we can 
attain or, or press, press toward or know or expect. Expect, that's our word today, expect the reality of this calling to work in our lives. Many, many people I talk to regularly, you know, less now than before, uh, just because I'm shrinking the church, but, um, but less, you know, that's a joke, kind of. Um, but, but many people in the past, and still, still people today, uh, uh, that, I, that I talk to are, are incessantly concerned, driven, condemned by, uh, just always burdened with, quote, God's calling on their life. Living up to God's calling on their life. And what that means to them, more or less, is trying to hear from God or figure out in one way or another exactly what it is that God wants them to do. You know, is my calling to be a doctor or is it to be a Pizza Hut delivery boy? Is my calling to be single or is my calling to be married? Is my calling to be a missionary or a housewife? Is it to live in Akron or Costa Rica? Is it to be a prophet or an apostle? Is it to be a teacher or an intercessor? What's my calling? What's my calling? I'd like to suggest to you something this morning. I'd like to suggest to you that though the Lord might direct you in any of those above mentioned directions, none of them really has anything to do with your primary calling. Now, the Lord may have a particular way that His life working in you functions in His body, but your calling is not bound up with things being done. It is bound up in whose life is being lived in whatever is being done. In other words, your calling is not fulfilled in things, times, or places. Your calling is fulfilled in the manifestation of Christ in all things, in all times, and in all places. God's not calling you to perform an assignment. Really. God is calling you into the fullness of His Son. In fact, He has called you into the fullness of His Son. And that is the expectation that He has of your calling. And if you'll notice in our verse, that's actually how it reads. It reads the hope of His calling. And it's significant because... God gets to define the calling and not you. It's His calling. Now, you know, it, 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 is, it can be called your calling because it's his, it's his calling on you. But Paul says in our verse here, he calls it the, the, uh, the expectation of His calling. I like to use, everyone knows, I like to use my hand as a, you know, in, in a lot of my uh, analogies because my hand is a member of my body and, it, and it's an expression of my life just as we are members of Christ's body and we are expressions of, of His life. Now listen, as far as my head is concerned, the calling on my hand isn't really a list of specific projects or tasks, daily objectives that, that I want it to do. The calling on my hand is to manifest my life in whatever task, at whatever time and in whatever place my will works in it. If my life wasn't formed in and functioning in my hand, there's not a chance in the world that my hand could fulfill the expectation of its calling. I like, I like uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ 
and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Every place. You know, you don't have to go to a certain place. It's the fragrance of Christ in every place. It's not a certain task. It's the fragrance of Christ in every task. You see? For we become, verse 15, to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. It doesn't matter where you are, who you're with. It's something you become, not something you do. If I could say it even stronger, even if you heard the audible voice of God telling you what your occupation was supposed to be, what house you're supposed to buy, who you're supposed to marry, how many kids to have, what church to go to, where to give your money, and how many times a day to brush your teeth, you could still completely and entirely miss His calling on your life because His calling is not bound up in any of those things. You could say it this way, unless the true calling of God is working in your soul, then regardless of however we think God is instructing us or guiding us, we can miss the true expectation of His calling. And that's a fact. So, what, what then is our calling? You could say it this way. Our, our calling is really an invitation to travel the way of the cross. And, and, and because that's so cliche, I want to define that uh, more, more clearly. Our calling is to leave behind all that He left behind. To become as dead to it as He is dead to it. To live in and to live by Him alone. And to find in Him and as Him the substance and sufficiency of new life. That's the way of the cross. The cross is not, you know, bad circumstances and cranky bosses and male pattern balding and all that kind of stuff. Our calling is a calling out of one man, one creation, one covenant, one realm, and into another. Into another what? Into another man, into another creation, into another covenant, and into another uh, realm. And all of that while you're still in your body. All of that works in you even while you're still in your body. Our calling isn't really the things done in and by the earth, but really the things in, done in and by Christ in you that are made manifest in the earth. Can you hear that? Can you hear the difference there? I'm not trying to be clever with you know, semantics or, or, or say things in clever ways. I'm really not. I'm just trying to make clear that the expectation of our calling isn't a series of tasks or instructions from God, but it is the ever-increasing experience, conformity, and expression of Jesus Christ's residence in your soul. That is what you're called to. That is the expectation of His calling. It's not the things you do, it's what you become through the inward working of the cross. It's not the places you go or the tasks you finish. Your calling is conformity to the image of Christ through the revealing of Him in you as your life. That's your calling. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping if I keep saying this enough time, I might break off some of the 
the things we've heard our whole lives. I know myself, I was driven for years of my life not really understanding what God's calling was, trying to both A, figure it out, and then B, make sure I was right in the center of doing it. That drove me. It drove me crazy is what it drove me. But it drove me and everything that I did, you know, afraid to miss God. Has everyone ever felt that? Afraid to miss God, afraid to, to uh, not do something that was part of His plan. Well, His plan is a lot bigger than what you do. It's what you become. And the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is exactly that. It is for you to dwell raised up and seated in Christ in the heavens and make that reality manifest in the earth. So, and of course, that then changes. That changes everything, you know, every outward thing. You know, what you do, say, think, feel, love, despise, whatever. All of that is, is affected by the upward call of God in Christ. But those are the byproducts of the hope of His calling. That's not the calling. Do you hear what I'm saying? Those are the byproducts of the calling. Those are not the calling. Not the goal. The goal, simply put, is to have Christ, <clears throat> Christ formed in you. And so, that's why Paul says things like, you were, you were called to gain the glory of Jesus Christ. Or, you were called into His own kingdom and His own glory. You know, Scriptures say that there's one hope of your calling. See, there's not many different expectations of God. There's not many different things, directions where God's... I mean, practically in terms of direction in your life, you know, there's, He could lead someone here and someone there and the different functions in His body. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's not a whole bunch of different callings. There are many people in whom the same calling is working the same expectation is working. There are many situations and places in which this single expectation is manifest. But there's really, as Paul says, there is one hope of your calling. There is one expectation of your calling. I didn't say that. Paul did. There's one expectation of your calling. One hope. Because God planted one seed. One son. One incorruptible seed in each soul with one thing in mind. His hope, His expectation is for its increase in you. My question for you this morning is, is that your hope? Is that the hope of your calling? Is that the expectation of your calling? I've, I've seen people travel halfway around the world to try to get a man or a woman to tell them in a conference or something like that what God's calling is on their life. Maybe you haven't come from that kind of background and you have no idea what I'm talking about. Trust me, it exists. People do it. I did it. I think they could have saved some time and some, some airfare by just reading these scriptures. There's one expectation of your calling. You know, you think of several of the parables of Jesus, you know, having to do with a seed sown and a harvest reaped. And in each case, each of these parables, the expectation of the soil is always the same thing. It is always to bring forth 
the increase of what was sown. The expectation of the farmer is always the same thing. To bring forth the increase of what was sown. The parable of the wheat and the tares. The parable of the sower and the, and the four kinds of soil. The parable of the vineyard. The, even the parable of the money lender. In each of these parables, the expectation of Christ is very simply the increase of what was planted or given. That's His expectation. And so often in the New Testament speaks of uh, this, this, one, this one hope that we have. It's all over the New Testament. You'll see it everywhere. But, but here's the problem. And we've talked about the Not in this reference, but we've talked about this same problem before. The problem is that unless, unless that hope becomes to you something revealed of the mind of the Lord, and once again it simply becomes to us whatever we hope to see happen. You know, we read the word, the hope of our calling, or the hope of His calling, or whatever, and it naturally, automatically, you don't have to try to do it, it automatically becomes something to do with something we want to see. You know, for one person, it's an imagination of, of, of what we, you know, of, of a heaven we want to go to in the future, what we think it'll be like. You know, sometimes it's a, you know, it's a nat- it's, it has to do with natural possessions or health in, in, or something in the present realm. Uh, sometimes it, uh, you know, though we wouldn't really readily admit it, the hope of our calling is kind of equivalent to our aspirations for, uh, for min- ministry and spiritual greatness in the sight of man and the sight of God, the hope of our calling, you know. That, that was definitely uh, one of my issues. Whatever, you know, whatever the hope... Uh, whatever the hope from God is, you have to ask, the hope of the calling is, you have to ask yourself this question. Is my expectation of this thing, is my expectation of where this is going, and what God is after, does it line up with God's expectation? Is it His expectation or is it my hope? The Lord's had to deal with me, honestly, just severely on that issue. I... It's amazing how, how much he has had to cut away. And I'm sure I'm just at the beginning of the beginning of this. But in my own heart, having made up so much in the absence of His light, there's so much cutting away that has to be done to bring us into a conformity to His expectation. There's so many illusions. Remember that analogy I did with the straw view? You know, you see the truth. It's like watching a movie through a straw. You see part of it. You, you don't really know what's going on over here. You just kind of make up the rest. You fill it in with the, the imaginations of the, of the natural mind. Well, it's like that. So much of that, has, you have to let Him cut that away and give you more and more and more and more of a view of the reality. And that's how it is in my heart. Because if it's not His expectation, you're going to find yourself, knowingly or not, willingly or not, cross-purposes with Him. And then you're only going to have one of two outcomes. Either you're going to be burnt out and disappointed or you're going to convince yourself that he's actually after what you're after and chase it all the days of your life. Those are both really sad options. I remember when I was applying for seminary. Don't worry, I didn't actually go. Um, I, uh, I was told by one of the... Uh, the professors uh, that 85% of seminary grads are permanently out of the ministry within five years after graduating from, uh, from seminary. 
I thought of that. I thought of that when I was typing up these notes, and it made me just wonder: Does our expectation line up with His? Does our expectation line up with His? You could really say it this way, and this is this is more along the lines of how I think. The hope of His calling is roughly equivalent to the fullness of where this thing is going. Where do you understand this thing going? What's this thing? I mean the gospel. I mean, I mean Christ revealed. I mean, I mean what we're doing here. Where is this going? The fullness of where this is going. What are we being called to leave behind? What does that mean? What are the, what are the implications of that? What are we being called into? What does that mean? What is the goal, the objective, the aim, the target of, of, what, call, of what Paul calls the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? How far does this, does this thing really go? That, that question, I don't know about you, that question just like it spirals in my head. I know i got some OCD issues, but uh, it just circles in my head. You know, how, how far does this thing really go? How far does this reality of new life really go? How much of it ceases to be a doctrine and actually becomes an experience of my soul? How far does it go? That's a great question. I recommend pondering that question. Asking yourself, how interested am I in where this thing goes? It won't surprise you when I say that that, that it goes far, far more than just Christian beliefs and behavior and, 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 and so-called service. It's far more than, than an expectation to go to a better place when we die. It's, it's, oh, it's so much bigger than that. You're never going to find Paul, the Apostle, reducing God's calling down to doctrines, behaviors, and future locations. You're never going to find that. For Paul, the call of God was nothing less than taking this thing as far as it goes. That's, you know, that's what I love about Paul. In every one of his letters, you can just tell, here is a man that's going, even if he has to rebuke Peter to his face, you know, in 14, 15 years after the resurrection, stands up to Peter's face and says, no, Peter, this is not where this thing goes. You know, why are you becoming an enemy of the cross, so to speak? Why are you standing contrary to the truth as it is in, in Christ? I love that about Paul. For Paul, for Paul, it was it was counting all things as dung compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. It was forgetting what lies behind the cross and, and laying hold of everything for which Christ had laid hold of him. It was coming to know even as he was fully known. For Paul. The upward call of, of God in Christ was the reality of being conformed to His death so that He could live in and abide in Christ's resurrection. The hope of His calling. It was taking it as far as it goes. As far as it goes. I just want to kind of pose, I want to pose this question to all of you this morning, not to be heavy, just to be real. How far do you want it to go? How, how far do we want it to go? You know, this fellowship. What's the, what's the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ? What's that going to mean? What are the implications of that working in your soul? I, I know that everyone's first response is always, all the way, Lord. You know, I mean, that's, regardless of where you ask that question, everyone always answers that way. But let's just be real here. Word, words don't mean anything. 
you know, the Lord knows your heart. Where, you know, I, I do this little thing here. I thought I might do a little thing. You know, if this is where God found you and, and this is where this thing goes, the fullness of Christ, the full experience of Christ, I just want to show you that, that, that there, are, there are off-ramps all along the way, you know? Off-ramps. And, and, and there's a thousand different ways to legitimize them too. Thousand different ways to legitimize the off ramps. Every, you know, and some of them actually kind of come back here. <laughs> you don't even realize it. Some of them just, <laughs> some of them just kind of circle around, you know. Some of them go somewhere else. Some of them go pretty, you know. There's off ramps. That's the strangest diagram I've ever ever drawn. But if you can picture the calling of God as kind of a highway that leads us out of death into the fullness of His resurrected life. Out of Adam into the full manifestation of Christ. If you can picture that. You know, out of the first into the reality of the second. Picture it as kind of like a road or a highway. Then, then there's these exit ramps every quarter mile along the way. You know, and these exit ramps are tricky. They're tricky little things because, here's why they're tricky. You don't really decide to take them. You just find yourself on one when you take your eyes off the road. You're actually quite convinced that you're still on the highway. Even when you're on the off-ramp. You're not even aware that you've headed off the wrong way. And I'm not trying to scare you with anything like that, I, I, I just, I, friends, I just know from myself. I just know from uh, watching this thing work in us as a fellowship, and, and 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 being a part of this together with you, and and fellowshipping with you, and going through my own issues, and and you know what, I, I know the off ramps because I took some detours there a few times. You know, I'm, some of them have caught me more than once. I think I did this curlicue thing like four or five times. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a stranger to the off-ramps, but I just know that there's so many exit ramps and there's, there's so many innumerable ways to rationalize them, to justify them, to legitimize them. They can be justified and rationalized by the natural mind in so many ways. Paul was constantly dealing with Christians who had taken exit ramps. You can't read any one of his epistles. You can't go to one without hearing him deal with, you know, he doesn't call them exit ramps, but he, they might, he might as well have. You know, in one, Paul is begging those who began, who began in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become mature through works of the flesh? Off-ramp. Off-ramp. In another one, he's saying, who has bewitched you? In another one, he's saying, how could you go back? After starting with the reality of Christ and Him crucified, he says, look guys, all things are yours. Why are you going back to do not taste do not touch, do not handle. These things were a shadow of that which we have obtained in Christ. You know, and another one, I mean, one, one thing after another. Another one he's saying, guys, have I, you know, have I labored for you in vain? I'm worried for you. And, and another one he says, he, he's, he's, he says, man, I really want to feed you solid food, but I find you still needing milk. Another, he says, I, I, I want to speak to you with spiritual words, but I can only speak to you as, your, as carnal men. 
You know, one, another one he says, by now you should be teachers and, and yet you're stuck in the elementary basic principles. Exit ramps. Exit ramps. All the way along the highway of this calling. The highway of His expectation of our calling. And so much of the Apostles' letters and prayers are directed. That's why he's praying this prayer in Ephesians 1, 17, 18. He's praying... He's directing his, his letters and his prayers toward, towards those who have, in, in one way or another, found some legitimate exit ramp that takes them to an expectation that is not the expectation of his calling. People who are falling short of where this thing really goes. And that's why, you know, that's why Jesus speaks with such frightening candor and uh, bluntness about, about what it means to be a disciple. You know, the church, you know, we, we find dozens of ways to water down these things and, and, and say, say them in more Adam-friendly kinds of ways, but nevertheless, there they stand, written there in red, as the highway of God's expectation. Lose your life or you can't find mine. Hate your life and you'll save it. Hate your father, mother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or you can't be my disciple. What does that all mean? It means that the calling of God on your life costs you your life. And there are very few who, who, pay, who, who care to pay that price. Now, to be sure, nobody having gained Christ ever looks back and even ever considers it a cost. But to those who are in love with what they're being called out from, the cost seems very high. We'd, we'd much rather add Jesus to our life than lose our life to find Jesus. And that right there is one of the very first exit ramps I think that all Christians encounter. And religion, you know, you can... You can here's that first, you get saved, you get born again, and here comes this exit ramp and then Christian religion you can camp there the rest of your life in that little box where where did you get off you got off right at the beginning instead of nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me which goes there it's thank you for forgiving my sins now tell me what you want me to do and you can you can find a bunch of ways to make that Adam friendly and exciting to the flesh to feel good about yourself and serve someone's vision over here. But it just isn't the expectation of His calling. Luke 14:27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? lest after he has laid the foundation he's not able to finish. All who see it will begin to mock, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men who will come, uh, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty heavy. But it makes a point. 
The point is that there is no way to follow the fullness of this calling if we continue to send out delegations seeking for terms of peace. Do you know what I mean by that? Jesus, let's make peace. You know, both you and I can both reign together in my soul and my heart. I'll take the left half, you take the right half. No, that's not where this thing goes. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Yet not I. Christ lives in me. For me to live is Christ. Not I, but the one who mightily works in me. See, that's where the hope of, of your calling leads. That's his expectation. Now, we all know that that's progressive, but that is the hope. That is the expectation. That is God's expectation. Is it yours? Is it yours? That's what I want you to think about this morning. Do you have, do you have another expectation besides the one that is burned in the heart of God be, from before He even created the world? Do, do you actually think that there's some other purpose for your creation, for your existence, for your life on planet Earth other than to walk in His expectation for your calling? Have we fooled ourselves? Have we actually imagined another calling, another purpose, reason, function, objective, or goal other than becoming the fragrance of Christ unto God, the increase of His Son in a corporate body? Have we imagined that there's actually something else we've been put on earth for? Or is there something else that fits right along with that, that takes up most of our heart? Have we been deceived? I hope not. I know I have in the past. I hope that we in our little fellowship want what Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus. I hope we want the Spirit of God to open the eyes of our heart, to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? That He would show us the expectation, the expectation of His calling, the fullness of where this goes so that we will be rooted and grounded in it as our own spiritual expectation, as our own goal, as our own aim. It's, a, it's like that in Colossians 1-2 where you talked about it this morning. He calls it the expectation of the Gospel that we would be, that we'd be rooted and grounded in that expectation of the Gospel. That's what he calls it there. Well, then we'll, we're almost done, but we'll uh, wrap up with this very briefly here. What then is the, is the outcome of, uh, you know, if the Spirit of God does work this expectation in, in, in your soul, the expectation of His calling in your soul, what does it do? What does it grant? Well, it grants the very next thing that Paul mentions in this prayer. It grants God a glorious inheritance in His saints. You see how that flows just perfectly together? You see how wonderful that is? See, our expectation is His increased, Christ all and in all, us partaking in all that He is, righteousness, life, love, redemption, wisdom, truth, joy. The Father's expectation is the very same Son coming forth from the soil of our heart as the increase of what He has sown. His, it's His inheritance in the saints. The one seed that He has sown into death now coming forth in a harvest through many. The one treasure that He has had, he has had for, for eternity past now being manifested in many vessels who together 
you know, bear in themselves, become the increase in themselves of that very glory. God's inheritance in the saints. You might ask yourself, you know, what, what could God possibly want as an inheritance from me? You know, what, what, what would He ever want other than the person of Jesus Christ? Well, it's not other than the person of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus plus something. It's Jesus now magnified, now glorified, now filling you, now transforming you, now enjoyed by you and expressed through you, through a people who bear in themselves His very life and His glory. A people joined to Him enjoying all that He is, given all that He is, and also manifesting all that He is unto the Father. It's a people who become a temple of His glory, a people that become a city of His rule, a body of His life, a kingdom of His reign. God's inheritance in the saints is the increase of Christ. And our becoming that to Him is precisely the expectation of His calling. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that scripture. It's like a farmer and his soil. God's the farmer, you're the soil. The farmer plants the seed in the soil. The inheritance of the soil is to bear and enjoy the increase of the fruit of the seed. The inheritance of the farmer is to enjoy the increase and the fruit of the seed coming forth from the soil. His expectation, His inheritance has become, can become our expectation, our inheritance. Amen. We'll stop with that.